Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Welcome to Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast that connects the worlds of marketing and sales, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Richard Lane, co-founder and chief commercial officer at Durham Lane. We're a leading outsourced sales and marketing agency that helps global and ambitious brands create always-on channels of meaningful and well-qualified sales opportunities. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Paul Gowans. Paul is the global director of regional and channel marketing for Viavi Solutions, who provide network testing, monitoring and assurance solutions for communication service providers enterprises and more all over the world. Paul, great to have you on the show and thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Great. Well, look, in order to get started, Paul, and and to help our listeners get a feeling for for who you are, would you mind uh, introducing yourself and perhaps sharing a a short anecdote about your career or your experience to date? Yeah, of course. Um, I've been in the telecoms industry for, I mean, it's about 30 years now, you know, um, I've run technical support teams, product management, business development, and now I run, as you say, the the regional and channel teams across the world. Their job really is at the coal face, you know, working with directly with sales, driving campaigns, you know, and executing those into into all the regions. You know, as a as a global company, you know, we touch a lot of parts of the you know the networks around the world. So it's important that we're all aligned in terms of the same campaigns driving in each of the regions. Typically. We focus around 5G, you know, the role at 5G networks and fibre networks. And a lot of that is around fibre to the home, but also embraces, you know, hyperscalers and, and cloud providers. Excellent. Okay, so um, a wide remit and uh, lots of different scenarios, which I'm I'm sure we'll get into as we uh, as we chat through on on this episode. One thing we spend a lot of time discussing on the insiders is the world of demand generation and capturing new customers' interest. It'd be great to hear your perspective on this in in terms of where does demand gen start and finish, and and where does lead gen start and finish. So maybe talk us through that that journey as as you see it in your business. One of the main aspects of any business like ours is driving new logos, you know, and driving new business whilst at the same time serving your current customer. So it's that balance between those two. I'm not sure if there's a defined exactly line between demand and lead. I mean, you're effectively going through, you know, the awareness phase. I didn't realize you can do that type thing to preference. I need to tell me more about what you have uh, to then conversion to then you're driving the the deal and and closing the business. A lot depends on the maturity of the market and where it sits in terms of where you are. You're you're a lot of the time driving awareness for your company as opposed to necessarily just trying to kind of sell solutions, you know. So it's that is that balance of maturity in the market? I mean, there's 5G and fiber everywhere, but it, there are different phases depending on kind of where you are. Some countries may, for example, be much further along in fiber to the whole, providing high-speed broadband. Other countries might be further behind. So you might be in very different kind of phases, even though your message is essentially the same. Do you see that variation in country as well? So do you see that, you know, as much as it's it's a different stage by country by country. Do you find it by region by region within a country, for example? The main difference with, well, actually, so I'll, I'll step back a bit. So it depends on the country, right? Obviously, if you're looking at the US, that's a, that's a big landmass, you yes. know, with quite a lot of different communities there, um, you know, the rural and urban. You know, what's happened, for example, in New York City is probably very different from what's happening in Wisconsin, you know? Yeah. Um, they're just different environments. Typically, if you look at, European countries, 
they're quite homogenous, you know, in terms of like, for example, like where France or the UK or Germany is in terms of that maturity. So it depends, you know, kind of where you're looking and the, the, the size of the country. But there's not that much variation within countries. It's mainly like you know, one country might just be further on. But obviously the, right. the big difference is rural versus urban, right, in terms of like, where am I getting a 5G service or can I get, you know, high-speed broadband? And those, those those kind of fundamental questions because it's such an essential element of people's lives now. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And something we talked about pre-coming on air was, was about the, the buyer journey and how the buyer journey is always evolving. One thing you mentioned is that you pointed out everything seems to be pre and, and post-pandemic nowadays. It'd be interesting from an, an ABM, account-based marketing perspective, uh, what have those changes meant for, for your customers? Yeah, it is funny how everything seems to be kind of pre or post-COVID and, and the comparisons between the two, um, which I think is reasonable because it's, it's you know, we've just come out of that and the, the market is often compared because you can't really look at the two-year kind of COVID period and and use that as a as a benchmark. One thing that I think has changed is that that buyer cycle, I would say maybe prospects would have been 50, 60% along that cycle before they even got in touch with you, right? Now okay. it can be 80%. Wow, okay, that much. So they, they can be much further on in that, in that buyer cycle, um, you know, doing much more kind of research and analysis themselves before they ever even contact you. And that's where, you know, as we were talking about demand and lead gen earlier on, that's where the awareness aspect is is crucial because they have to just know who you are and what you do um, and why you might be an important potential vendor or supplier. So I think that that has changed. I think the the face-to-face aspect is, is really important for people now. You know, if you take, for example, like the classic trade show where pre-pandemic, so many people would go to that, but it would be difficult to pick out the real prospects because it was often such a kind of vast environment. Nowadays, I think what we find is that there's less footfall at these trade shows, but the quality of the people that are there are higher. So I think that that has changed a bit, you know, the dynamics of that but before and after. I think that is a direct outcome of of the pandemic is the the face-to-face I think has taken on a, a more significant gravitas in terms of if people are willing to make the effort to go to their office to see you or you're making the effort to go to a show etc then it just feels like there's a higher intent than there was pre-pandemic days for example. Yeah absolutely yeah. And within your world it feels like there are many different layers that you're having to get your brand in front of. And as you mentioned, sort of 80% of the buyer journey done before a salesperson is, is spoken with. So how, how do you, with your global remit in mind, how do you make sure that you're getting the, the brand and the business in front of the right people with the right message across those different tiers of, of operators? It's a challenge, right? It is a challenge. I mean, the thing is, we, we have a lot of business with, for example, like tier one operators who, who know us well and we've been working with for a long time. And there's a, it's all about trust and relationships, more building breadth within that operator, you know, rather than trying to drive, drive new operators. So I think that's one aspect. The more challenging one is when you, you scale that up and you go to, for example, some of the smaller operators rolling out fiber, you know, you might call them all nets in, in the UK or tier three in other areas. And then the scale's different. And there's lots of elements of that ecosystem. You know, there's contractors involved in installing stuff, which isn't necessarily the employee, the 
tier three operator, but is a key element in terms of rolling out fiber to the home, for example. So you're trying to get awareness, like, you know, who is Viavi? What do they do? What do they stand for? Why should, why should I even talk to you? Or maybe I've been using a different vendor for a long time and you're a new vendor and I need to kind of understand the differences. You know, people tend to not want to move off what they've been using for a long time, you know, yes. just because there's a trust thing, even if it's not the best. Yes. Right? It might not be the best product out there, but just to feel kind of comfortable with that. And I think you can often move a market a bit more when there's a, an inflection point in it. You know, 4G going to 5G is an inflection point in the market where new tools and new capabilities are needed. And that gives you, I think, an opportunity in the, the market dynamics to, you know, show what your capability is compared to others. If a customer, for example, hasn't been using it. So that, that whole kind of scale um, of driving new logos in the broader market compared to, for example, what you've been doing in tier one operators is, is quite a difference. You know, and again, it's a, it's a balance of the teams. In the tier one, I guess you're you're known and it's about how do you increase the depth of your relationships when you go out of the tier one it then is how do we become known so how do your people split their time into the the various buckets is that a significant challenge for your business it can be i mean there's almost like three buckets there you've got your tier one operators and network equipment manufacturers you know that's your that's your key customers and as you say that's your ones that you're you know developing your trust and your relationships with or continuing that you've you've got the next kind of tiers down the tier two threes which is of course a scale and then we've also got the channel of course yeah you know the indirect channel which is a key key element of how we how we go to market and get that scale and get that breadth out often they're selling to maybe the contractors who are doing the install and turn up of a service you know versus the actual operator themselves so You've got these kind of buckets and really you need different campaigns for each of those, although they're all connected. Yes. You know, it's about a kind of three-legged stool. You know, there's pieces of each of that. You're addressing those markets separately, but they are somewhat connected. You know, there is connected tissue between them. How the contractors are buying products to do install, that's often driven by what the operator needs. You know, so although they might be separate markets, there's a lot of kind of connected tissue between them. So you need to address that whole ecosystem and think about when you're doing go-to-market plans, you can't just kind of isolate each of those components in its own right. You need to pull that together in a, in an overall market assessment. Right. So uh, just as you were talking through that, Paul, I was thinking, is there a, is there a golden thread that links all of those different campaigns together and and i presume as a piece of work that would be a you know a significant piece of the jigsaw when you're then cascading that through the the various campaigns that you run both locally and regionally and globally you know it sounds simple but i think the consistency of message and how you kind of go to market with that message is really important that should be consistent right the way through whatever kind of watering holes you're using you know whether it's a blog or whether it's an email or you're at a trade show or you're running a webinar you know whatever it is that consistency message is really really important you know and not deviating from that because it's easy for you know we talked about different things in different regions and of course you would have a different message depending on the maturity of the market but if the market's pretty well at the same level you need to be consistent with that and scale that across all your all your markets that's really important yeah, it's a key point, isn't it? Consistency does sound obvious when we talk about it, but it's one of those things that people just aren't very good at being consistent. And it's it's easy to get taken down a different path when there's 
yes. different priorities yeah. maybe going on in a country and they want something specific and, oh, but I'd like this, this and this. And you have to say, look, you have to look at what you've got in terms of a global campaign and just keep saying that that same message. Yeah, great point. Okay, thank you. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to change track just a little bit. And uh, next question is, what's one of the biggest challenges that Viavi faces in selling your solutions? The biggest challenge, I think, again, it depends on the, the new logos. Let, let, let's focus on, you know, trying to drive new business, which is often the, the challenge of any business, you know, picking up new customers, driving new opportunities and new logos. I think the, um, you know, now we're kind of post-pandemic and we mentioned earlier about folks have done a lot of research. You know, they could be 80% through that buying cycle. It's like you and I kind of buying a car these days, right? Typically, you've done it 80% of your research before you ever go and talk to a, a dealer. Um, so you, so a lot of customers have done a lot of research. So you need to then, okay, so how do you feed that research? What do you need to put out there? Now, we talked about consistency, but you, you have to really have a set of activities and tactics coordinated into a consistent campaign. It's very easy to just go down a path and you know, you'll hear, you know, someone wants, I want to do a webinar, right? I want to do an email shop. I want to do social. You know, I want to do this, this, and this. And you end up with a set of disparate tactics yes. which aren't integrated into the campaign. They're not a consistent message. You're kind of reacting to a need as opposed to proactively building a, a solid campaign. I think that's important. It's often easy for certainly folks in marketing, particularly ones that are really at the at the edge of the marketing domain where you're really in front of, you know, driving things in front of customers to just get reactive and, and respond to needs. And I think it is important that we, I mean, clearly you want to respond and be flexible, but you really need to step back and really plan, you know, and plan things consistently and, and engage on, a, on an integrated campaign. I think that's the way you can drive new logos. You know, this idea of trying to just drive MQLs, you know, by phoning people up. I mean, it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing when you you talk about eighty percent of the buying decision made before they've spoken to anyone. So that's that then comes down to education of of the market and the personas in your in your marketplace. Sure. Have you have you found that that focus on educating the market has slowed sales cycles down, or is it? In some cases, accelerated it. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on on how that's uh, worked through your business. Yeah, I, I honestly, Richard, I don't think it is necessarily slowing things down. I think it is interesting that um, how do you address? And we've kind of had a look at this, for example, in the fibre domain. You know, which is how do you address influencers in that market that have that may not yep. be buying your solution but have an influencing component, right? So an example of this is in the fibre community. A lot of that is driven by venture capital, high cost of capital up front, high amounts of investment up front, because a lot of these guys are digging up roads and you know putting contractors out there and driving fiber past your home. You know that's a, that's a big capital investment. So a lot of investment banks and, and venture capitalists are involved in that. So we've engaged that community, you know, that community of of investors because they're influential in the operators but also to help them kind of understand the importance of having high quality networks to their ROI. You know, if they're investing in a business, they need to look at the return on investment. That's a high quality network, not just driving past homes, but then connecting to homes. That's an important part of their business. So we've spent time, for example, with the, the fiber investor community. We've done this in, in the UK, we've done this in the US, uh, to help them understand about, you know, networks, and how you install them, 
why testing is important, you know, all those aspects, even though they're not buying equipment from us, but just to kind of help them understand the whole the whole environment they're involved in. Yeah. So so that leads me to a, a common thread on on the insiders, which is around the integration of your marketing and your sales divisions and people. Can you share any stories, Paul, around where that's worked particularly well, or or perhaps sometimes we learn better from the horror stories. So maybe there are times when it when it hasn't worked particularly well, but it'd be good to get your thoughts on some of the dirty detail in there. My team works very closely with sales on a daily basis. I mean, really, because they're they're working hand in hand in each of the regions. The interesting areas are when we're looking at you know expanding markets or you're trying to cross fertilize some solutions into another domain. So I'll give you an example. We sell into the military and aero market, you know, which call the military market, and typically that you know you'd be selling very specific solutions for that market. But of course, that market, things like fiber and five G and those type of communications, is really important to it. So the question is. How do you take that broader portfolio through that channel and do cross-sell, upsell? And so actually the sales and marketing teams that I've got have really been working closely in terms of what that looks like. You know, a lot of that is, you know, we talked about awareness. Those guys are typically saying, yeah, we're buying these solutions from you. I didn't realize you've got all this fiber stuff and all this 5G stuff over here. You know, so how do you blend that in and take take that message? So actually that's been where like sales have seen a growth Need in a in a market, yes. it's come from, it's come from the sales team because they've seen the opportunity to to cross sell and they've worked back with us to say we need marketing help to tell us how to do that, you know, and blend the the message together, that portfolio message, etc. So I think that's an example where it can work together. They really have to work together in a very kind of cohesive way. Yeah, and that's the sort of perfect scenario, I think, because your salespeople should be at the front end hearing the challenges and concerns of of the customer or the prospect and then being able to then translate that back into the organization who can then affect it and create campaigns and awareness and educate on the back of that is fantastic so to have that closed loop i think is is really really important and that you know the the sales funnel has got so many different start points end points these days it's not a linear process so great that you've built that out through the business that's fantastic and you're absolutely right, Richard. No, the other thing I was just going to say is it's not just, you're not, you, you don't have to be building new products for that domain. You know, you're literally taking the products you've got and repositioning them for that particular market. The message might be different, but the product's the same. Yeah, absolutely. And so able to react more speedily, able to get campaigns running, able to then create more opportunity and, and, uh, and awareness. That's fantastic. How has ABM manifested itself within Viavi, you know, any tips on on what you've learned to this point, or any thoughts around what you might have done differently if you if you'd started that process again? The ABM site, I mean, it's really important for us because so much of our business is tied to tier one operators and tier one network equipment yeah. manufacturers. You know, so you know where they are in the dynamics of the market often then reflects on us in terms of kind of what's needed. You know, we mentioned about. You know, going from 4G to 5G and those type of inflection points, you know, or driving fiber to the home in rural communities, for example, which is a high priority, you know, for a lot of operators now, you know, expanding out. And there's often kind of government funding to help drive that because yes. they, want, they want much, much broader coverage, you know. So, I mean, we've been selling to tier one operators and, and network equipment manufacturers for, I mean, years. But often it's getting the depth in the accounts that's important, you know, as you evolve. Typically, if you're selling test and measurement products, you're often selling it to the same people, you know, on a daily basis because it's the same group. But 
as an example, that can deliver data and information that other groups can use. We have, for example, um, a product that uh, does location intelligence for mobile networks. So using anonymous location information to help them do planning and, and management and ensure the network. But there's a lot of really smart data in there that can be used for other, for other groups. It's not down to the what Richard does or what Paul does. It, it's it's anonymized and aggregated, but there's patterns of information in there that can be really used by marketing and business development teams, etc. So it's looking at those expansion opportunities where, again, you've got a product but it's got broader appeal across different lines of business. Yeah, that's really interesting. That reminds me of the you know the adage that John Deere, the tractor company, now see themselves as as being data specialists. Yes. You know what you could say is a side product actually becomes you know hot property, I guess, in terms of the new world. That's yeah, yeah really interesting. And we talk about multi-threading a lot of Durham Lane. So getting into an organisation, having multiple points of contact at all different levels of an organisation, and I guess for you across tier one and and all of the other tiers, you need to replicate that as best you can as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing that we we I think we've had a lot of this already, Paul, on on the uh, on the chat so far. But one thing we're very keen to do on the insiders is is lead actionable uh, insight for our listeners to be able to take away and and do something with. So, what one thing can you share with our audience? You've already used consistency, so maybe yeah. um, you know we've got that one. But but what else can you share that they can take away and, and action immediately? Well, you know, Richard, you touched on data there. You know, the John Deere, and I think. That is a fundamental element now of our of our our business, which is data and analytics and measuring things. You know, it's the old adage: yeah. if you if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. Yes, and yeah. it's often quite difficult with marketing campaigns to determine was that successful or was it not. You know, what was the ROI on that? We now live in a data analytics world. I think it's important that decision making, marketing decision making, is based on data, you know, and results. There's a lot of work needs to be done up front with that. You know, it's a bit like the flywheel. You know, it's it's really difficult to get going, get that momentum. Yeah. It's hard. But once that thing starts spinning, you know, you get results and uh, the thing moves at a faster pace. So I would say, you know, top of the consistency measures that we talked about, look at the data, right? The data is telling you something and use that to make decision making. Excellent. Are there any particular tools that, that you use that you couldn't live without for helping that process? Not particularly. We do a lot of data analysis ourselves, you know, internally. There's not like specific tools or companies we use. We actually have a, quite a lot of experts actually in-house that do that analysis against campaigns, you know, how, how well they're doing, channel, you know, indirect channel, the whole analysis. There's not, there's not any kind of one tool or something that I would pick that we use. I just think it's just the discipline you know, associated with uh, with data and, and measuring what, what you're doing and determining what was successful and what wasn't. It's okay to fail, right? You want to fail fast and move on to the next thing. Fail fast, move on, and don't fail at the same thing twice. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Excellent. Well, we, we've got a, a question in from a, a listener. Um, Hannah's asked, what advice would you give to aspiring marketeers looking to specialize in regional and channel marketing? Are there specific skills they should focus on developing? I guess that's really specific as from a channel channel point of view. Is there anything specifically to consider rather than you know a more more general marketing role? You know, I think there's a lot of skills there that are transferable in the domain. You know, whether it's direct or indirect, I don't think there's anything necessarily specific from a channel perspective. I mean, obviously, just the experience of doing channel marketing 
you know, is a, a key element of that. But again, I think the, um, the key thing for me in any of these domains is understanding the domain and understanding the customer and who you're trying to sell or market to. And again, it sounds obvious, but, you know, there's an influencer, there's a buyer, there's a user, and they all kind of have a, have a different message. So understanding your market, understanding the domain you work in, and using data to make decisions. I would say that that type of thing. I think certainly many years ago, maybe data analytics wasn't so, so important, you know? Yes. Um, but I think now it is really a fundamental element in the job. So, you know, when you're looking at marketing courses or business courses that can help develop skill sets, I think anything that helps you understand the, the financial side of things and the data analytics side of things will stand you in good stead. Excellent. Great advice. And I totally agree with you. Data is, uh, well, they say data is the new gold, don't they? So I think go. having an understanding of understanding of uh, data no matter really no matter what you do i think these days is yeah, is key i agree that's brilliant look paul i've really enjoyed the conversation we leave the perhaps toughest question for last and uh as regular listeners will know we're building a playlist on spotify where every guest gets to choose a song so i'm going to ask you what would you like a la desert island discs to include on our soundtrack of the future the most difficult question of the day. Well, look, I, I, I grew up with David Bowie, so I, I have to therefore pick a David Bowie song. So I would pick okay. Life on Mars by David Bowie. Life on Mars, perfect. Okay, well, I don't believe we've had that before. So I'm, I'm not actually sure we've had David Bowie. So sure. um, right. you're welcome. It'll be great to get that onto the playlist and we'll obviously put a link to that playlist in the uh, in the show notes. Right. But Paul, it's been a great challenge to you. Really enjoyed the conversation uh, lots for our listeners to take away and, and to action. So thank you so much for being on The Insiders. Great. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning in once again. Please subscribe on your preferred podcasting site to ensure you're notified of episodes as and when they're published. And if you'd like to learn more about Durham Lane and our unique method of selling at a higher level, visit durhamlane.com for more information. Until then, see you next time. The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.